I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at the $10 tier and above of my Patreon page at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Once again, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Producers, Credit shoutouts to Mark Arlen, Spartacus, Gunner, Ed, Gratz, James, Mickey, Brian, The Warner, The 42 Group, Nick, Emilia, Chase, Chris, Orc, Black Tuna, Nobody, David, Holland, Martin, Stu, Jeffrey, Thomas, Elliot, Colin, Michael, Matthew Ho, Brace Belden, Galen, Justin, Nick W, Chance, and the Mere M-E-E-R Project. If you'd like to join those listeners in getting your very own producer's credit on each and every edition of Parallax Views, Consider joining them in supporting me at the $10 tier or above on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And now, on to the show. Tonight's Fact or Fiction is brought to you by America's Finest Carpet. In tonight's Fact or Fiction, we're looking into a nugget that has people doing a double take. Sarah Palin got a lot of media attention last week when she announced her candidacy for Alaska's congressional seat. She joins a field of 50 other candidates, which includes Santa Claus. And that is no joke. Santa Claus, which is his legal name, is a two-term councilman and current mayor pro tem of the city of North Pole, Alaska. He describes himself as a democratic socialist in the mold of Bernie Sanders. Before changing his name from Thomas O'Connor, Claus held a number of jobs, including special assistant to the deputy police commissioner of New York. That's right, Santa Claus is coming to Congress. That is, if his congressional run in Alaska goes well. He's up against some tough contenders, including Sarah Palin and Al Gross, who has been described in media outlets as 
the bear-killing Jewish doctor candidate. It's a carnival-esque election coming up in Alaska. And joining us to discuss his congressional run, hailing from North Pole, Alaska, Santa Claus. And trust me when I say this Santa Claus has a rather interesting story from being a member of the Screen Actors Guild to working on counter-terrorism and having a huge heart for wounded and exploited children in America today. And by the way, he is also a monk and, as it turns out, a supporter of Bernie Sanders, as well as being a big supporter of Medicare for All. I want to get right to the conversation with North Pole Alaska's Santa Claus. So, with that being said, Santa Claus is coming to Parallax Views right now. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm very excited to be speaking with, running for Congress in Alaska a two-term councilman and current mayor pro tempore of the city of North Pole, Alaska, Santa Claus. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I've been waiting for a while to get together with you. This is, is going to be a nice Zoom, I think. Thank you. So if, if you could, I, I want to start uh, because you were in the news recently uh, with uh, an article well, there were multiple headlines saying that Sarah Palin is running against Santa Claus for a congressional seat. I guess that's not exactly the story, uh, but there's a, a pretty big congressional race going on where you're at right now with uh, a multitude of candidates. Yeah, we have 48 candidates. We initially had 51, a few dropped out. And uh, a lot of people, even though I um, registered first to run, before Sarah, a lot of people are kind of narrowing it down just because she and I have probably the highest name recognition, you know, factor among all the candidates. Uh, several of the candidates have high re name recognition in the state of Alaska, but not so much outside. So before we get into uh, why you're running for Congress and, and some of the work you've done even prior to that, uh, in a past life, uh, you, you, you've led some very interesting um, lives. Uh, yeah. So but my understanding is uh, that you also uh, at one point um, were a member of SAG and that you were involved in counterterrorism. Uh, where should we start with some of your uh, previous endeavors? Well, since you mentioned it, I've been a 51-year member of SAG, now SAG-AFTRA, or more recently SAG-AFTRA. And um, I'm all for, I'm very pro-union, you know, the PRO-ACT, uh, the Biden administration is uh, supporting, and um, I keep seeing organizations like uh, Amazon, Starbucks, et cetera, they're getting pretty well slammed uh, by unions long overdue, in my opinion. So I'm happy to see workers being protected. Um, some of the stuff you probably read mentioned that I'm a, an independent, progressive, democratic socialist. So I'm all for the, the regular person, you know, protecting our rights and giving us the same opportunities that uh, many of the people that might be a little bit higher up on the food chain might have. 
So then, could you maybe discuss some of the other aspects of your life um, and how they may have uh, influenced what you're doing now in North Pole, Alaska? Well, you had mentioned that uh, I had a background in counterterrorism, which I do long before my Santa years. Um, I lived in New York City and was a special assistant to the deputy police commissioner of New York City. He was appointed by uh, Mayor John Lindsay and uh, uh, police commissioner at the time. And we, I saw a lot of children falling through the cracks with respect to uh, public safety issues way back when a lot of that's coming to the forefront again. So evidently people didn't listen. Um, you know, 50 years ago for, to those of us who were pointing out these needs for community policing, you know, community-oriented policing, that sort of stuff. And all this stuff is coming back to, uh, to haunt us um, these days. I kind of feel badly for children because not only do they fall through the, the cracks with uh, social support services, but in areas like uh, education and uh, science, and a whole bunch of other uh, areas. And I, my just heart goes out to them and has for a very long time. I was also an emergency response chaplain. And when I would respond to uh, sort of horrific uh, incidents, um, the public safety people were doing their best to you know, address the situation. But a lot of the people who were victims or knew the victims were in distress. And uh, most public safety chaplains will try and help the uh, responders, but they also are there to let the responders do their thing and let the chaplains comfort uh, people who might be involved in the situation, you know, especially children. So for many years, I um, saw that happening. Um, and I just got, kind of got this heart for uh, children, vulnerable children. And um, when I went into uh, ministry, as I mentioned, a little bit related to the law enforcement stuff, um, I found that similar problems existed in the, the field of uh, religion. We've seen, we've heard different stories and stuff about different denominations having uh, bad experiences with uh, their clergy and uh, children. So I've always been kind of you know, interested in that aspect of things and how best to protect um, children. So I went on a tour this is not related to the counterterrorism stuff, but I went on a tour about 15 years ago to all 50 states, and I visited mostly governors, their staffs, and many U.S. senators that had offices in capital cities. And I also went to the our nation's capital um, as well and saw some of the people I'd missed on the actual tour. I was born in Washington D.C., so I felt pretty comfortable there. And on the on the tour, uh, we talked about things like child health, safety, and welfare, and abuse, neglect, exploitation, abandonment, homelessness, institutionalization, uh, SCHIP, foster care, adoption, all that kind of stuff. And each state has its own sort of needs, but some of them are very similar. And back when I did the tour, not too many were sharing information between states. So I was able to kind of cross-pollinate um, with the people that I was visiting. and. For instance, if uh, some state had a, a grant for whatever to help children, another state might get the same grant several months later and start from you know, square one and not realizing this other state had gotten the, the money. So 
when I was going around, I said, oh yeah, we ought to call up, you know, Nebraska, they, they're working on blah, 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 or how about Montana or Florida just got this one and started them talking to each other. And one thing that came out of it was uh, one file per child. If you or I were in one of the systems, you know, the social services systems as a child, every time we change, you know, a counselor or whatever, our file wouldn't necessarily go with us. Let's say if it had to do housing or education or something like that, there'd kind of be this little gap or if we moved to a different state. Um, so I tried to figure out creative ways to have some consistency, especially for the, for the children and some continuity uh, with their care. So through the years, I've kind of gravitated towards concentrating on uh, children's issues uh, more than anything else. So the law enforcement, experiences before sort of um, primed me, you know, for some of that. And um, some of the same skills are applicable now in the political arena. Because I think we all have to find whatever the issue happens to be. I think if we're trying to solve something, we have to find some common ground and move forward with it and not have all this contentiousness that's going on that I can see and children can see, you know, what. It, just imagine if they had, uh, they saw Santa Claus in Congress and a child looks at it and says, oh, well, here's Santa Claus trying to make it make a little difference. And I was at a good example. Um, and look, you know, they're working with people and trying to get some stuff done. And I think that would be very refreshing. So there, there's a million and one uh, things we could cover here, but how, how did you first become involved with, um, you know, donning the, uh, Santa Claus uh, outfit and, uh, you know, what, what effect has it had uh, on children and the lives you've touched of uh, a, a number of children? I think children that have been in very dire straits. I want to I want you to be able to tell that story a little bit. Well, in 2004, I decided to grow out my beard for fun. And as you can see, it turned out snowy white and a lot of people at the time said, hey, you know, you ought to try the Santa thing this winter, the winter of 2004. And I figured, well, yeah, I go to try. So I volunteered for a lot of nonprofit organizations around Lake Tahoe, where I was living at the time on the Nevada side. And uh, had fun. It was well received. And um, that February, uh, I was walking to the post office up in the mountains, very snowy still. And as a monk, which I am in real life, I... Um, was praying. I said, well, oh God, what should I do with this, this appearance, this gift? You know, how, how can I use it to help the greatest number of children? So um, about 20 seconds after I finished my prayer, this white nondescript car came up the road and its windows were open. So I kind of glanced over, but I couldn't see who was in it. And right after the prayer, this male voice shouted out through the window in February, I love you, Santa. That. So I figured, well, that's a pretty, pretty quick answer to prayer. So the next day I called up the uh, county clerk and uh, went through the process of legally changing my name, make a long story short. So that's how the, the name Santa Claus came along for me. And a lot of people don't realize uh, Santa Claus, the actual name is from the Dutch expression uh, for um, St. Nicholas, Sinterklaas. And when the Dutch settled New Amsterdam, which is now New York City, they brought the tradition of the Feast of St. Nicholas on his uh, death day. It's usually uh, celebrated on December 6th. And they didn't have much money, you know, things to do. So they figured, well, Santa, you know, Santa Claus is a gift giver. Um, 
got the Magi coming on the 25th of December to uh, give gifts to Jesus. Um, why don't we combine the two? So that's how Santa Claus became associated with Christmas in my view. So when I've been out there as Santa Claus, um, I've never done it in a mall. So uh, I tend not to wear my Santa outfit very much. I tend to wear my monk's robe if I wear anything. Um, it's kind of a red monk's robe with kind of a purple signature. Anyway, um, once in a while, uh, I'm able to comfort a child or um, when I was being interviewed once by a German television station, they asked uh, what was one example, just like you were asking. And I said, well, one time uh, a child and her mother came up to uh, see me when I was at Lake Tahoe and the mother said, oh, Santa, you know, why don't you, you know, see what my you know, child would like for Christmas. So I asked her because I, I'm a big believer in love is the greatest gift, not so much, you know, tangible presence and stuff. If people are able to do that, that's fine. But um, I sort of push the love aspect of it more. So I kind of keep that in mind when I was answering her question. And I said, well, you know, what would you like to have for Christmas? And she said, well, Santa, I don't really, I don't want a, a gift or anything. I said, well, what would you like? And she said, uh, well, I'd like my mother to stop smoking. I said, oh, that's a good, that's a good request. So I looked up at her mother and I said, well, you know, I can give your daughter the gift of asking you to stop smoking because it'll give you a longer life, most likely, and also your child. What do you think? And uh, she said she would. And the next year, sure enough, they showed up and, you know, I was just walking just, you know, as I used to do through town. And they said, remember us? And I said, yeah, I haven't smoked a cigarette since I saw you. And I said, really? That's wonderful. And then another instance, which I kind of like is, you know, some uh, well, adults, but some children like to uh, put the, the gel in their hair. And for a while, mohawks were a big thing. I don't remember those. They had lots of different colors and stuff. And uh, this family brought their uh, son, who was probably about 10, and he had a mohawk. And it was all colorful and spiky and sticking right up. And um, I was wearing my Santa hat and stuff, and it was pretty easily recognizable. So they said, uh, Santa, you know, we're, we're trying to get him to stop doing this. And rather than, I'd rather reinforce, you know, children's, you know, positive views on things than give them a hard time about something. So I was kind of looking at it, trying to think what to say. And I said, well, you know, your hair looks, looks great. I like the, I like the mohawk. It looks, you know, pretty colorful and stuff. You know, when I was, when I was about your age, a little bit older, I, I used to do stuff with my hair to make it look a little bit different. It was something I enjoyed. And he said, really? And uh, I said, yeah, look what happened. I took off my hat and here's this bald head. And the expression on his face was priceless. I didn't have to say a word. So after that, he looked Ooh, like that. And I said, but your hair looks great. So I said, thank you so much you know, for asking you know, to the parents. And they had big smiles on their faces. So I figure that's about the most I was going to do to try and get him to change his hairstyle. So even with politics, I try and address things like that, not being confrontational, but just trying to figure out a good way to find some common ground or get their attention or try and, you know, nudge them to do something that I think is more positive. I want to talk about politics a bit more, but the, the last thing I wanted to ask with regards to the, the child advocacy and the experiences with that, um, 
have you had a chance to um, maybe bring a smile to the, the face of children that I don't know are either, maybe they don't have uh, a regular parental situation or that they're from an exploited background or even, you know, like homeless, uh, th- things of that nature? Yeah, I used to uh, visit um, when I was living at Lake Tahoe, there was a center in Reno. Um, it's not really, they call it something else, but it's essentially an orphanage. And uh, a lot of people, were, kids were in their teens, some were younger, and they had some that were, you know, had medical conditions, et cetera. And when I would go down and um, talk with them, I would bring a friend with me, an old friend, and he had been through the adoption and fostering system a long time ago and did not have a good time. And of course, those particular children were kind of standoffish with the whole Santa thing because they hadn't had very good Christmases um, to celebrate for a variety of reasons. So I figured, well, I would just take off my little Santa hat and say, no, I'm just a guy. Here's what, here's why I'm here visiting you with my friend here. And he has a story for you. And he would tell them a story about his experiences and a lot of the children going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right, that's right. Um, you know, falling through the cracks and here's what happens. And I said, well, I'm so sorry you're going through that. I, I and a lot of other people, people you don't even know, you know, love you and feel badly about your situation or trying to help, whether it's in politics or education or, you know, what have you. And um, please just try and get through these these tough years the, you know, the best you can. And if you go on my little YouTube channel, you'll see a, a little video I did for children at the beginning of the pandemic because people were starting to wear masks and stuff. And for some kids, that was scary, depending on what their parents were telling them. And it was more of a, I think the video is called Santa Comforts Children. I think that's it. And that was pretty well received. And also another one for teens, Santa Comforts Teenagers, something like that. And um, that was also well received. And the people I see just on the street here, younger people don't have any any hesitation to approach me, whether it's a supermarket or the uh, post office or just while I'm walking around and telling me their, their situations. And sometimes I'll try and make a referral. Sometimes I'll, you know, to a support agency or if it's really bad, you know, I might be inclined to... Uh, involved you know law enforcement that that's pretty rare but um i try to be receptive to children and sort of meet them on a level that they can sort of understand and appreciate and something that resonates you know in the heart so i'm not sure if that really answers your your question but there's so many opportunities and some of them are just spontaneous you know not something i would necessarily arrange uh, but when I was going through my name change process in 2005, um, the judge who happened to get my case, because um, you have to publish a name and let people challenge it if they want to, and no one did, but the judge, having just been appointed, wanted to be sure they weren't making a mistake, so they called up the governor and said, hey, you got this guy who wants to change the name of Santa Claus, what should I do? And the governor said, oh yeah, that's the guy that was going around helping the state you know, with stuff. So. The judge liked hearing that. And uh, next kind of few days later, I got a call from the county clerk saying, Santa, come on down, pick up your paperwork. And there were some funny things that happened after that with like, the Transportation Security Administration and some other time when I had first changed my name because it was not too long after that 
9-11 stuff. So people were pretty security conscious, particularly with regard to transportation. Sorry to go off on a tangent there, but. So politically, it, it sounds like uh, given that the children uh, matter a great deal to you, uh, how do you think America has dealt with children? I mean, in the sense that, are we doing enough uh, for the youth of today? Uh, you're, you're, it sounds like you're saying, no, what can we do better? What, what needs to change? Well, we have opportunities, particularly people in Congress have an opportunity to pass things like uh, the PRO Act, strengthening unions, because a lot of union members have families, including children. And we also improve uh, healthcare by uh, Medicare for all. I'm an advocate for that and uh, erase a lot of the medical debt that has been accumulating, um, particularly during COVID. I think if there was a time for Medicare for all and getting people's attention, now is a pretty good time to do that since they're seeing all these surprise medical bills, et cetera. Um, also the child tax credit, we have an opportunity to bring that back. Um, I'm all for Bernie's wealth tax for the tippy top. In fact, when people ask me about my platform, I've just got a tiny little website because um, I'm not soliciting or accepting contributions. And when people say, well, you know, what about your platform? And I can answer specific questions, kind of like you're asking, but I usually will just go to you know, berniesanders.com slash issues. So <laughs> Santa Claus is a Bernie fan. Oh, yeah. I was one of his uh, alternate delegates when he was running. And the interesting up here in Alaska, we have almost an equal number of Republicans and Democrats. And more than either of those, we have independents. So when Bernie was running against Hillary up here years ago, um, during the primary, the Democratic primary, um, Bernie received 82% of that vote. So up here, um, a lot of people like what Bernie has to say. A lot of people seem to like what I have to say. I've had people approach me in the street now and through email and phone calls saying, you know, Santa, you know, we'd like to help you with your campaign. And I'm trying to keep it very low key so I don't have all this extra federal election um, commission paperwork to deal with. And you're not trying to get any, uh, you know, that, that, that big time lobby money or anything, you're grassroots. No, yeah, grassroots. If you would like to help, I, I welcome it, but I can't direct it or coordinate it. So if they want to do it independently, maybe we'll sign or I go on social media, you know, and look at what I have to say there, Santa Claus for AK or the website, you know, santaclausforalaska.com. There are many ways they can, they can help independently without me having to, you know, coordinate or direct them or whatever. Um, I don't take too much to direction. Yeah, I don't expect most other people do either. So um, while I welcome it, you know, I, I sort of made up my mind early on that I'd like to see a little bit different political system evolve where more people have more control or can exercise their vote more freely and not have to deal with political parties or advertising onslaught, you know, during campaign season um, or have to, you know, spend dough. I think the last presidential election was what, 2 billion, something like that, ridiculous. How come that money didn't go to children? So I'm curious, how did your develop, how did your politics sort of develop in the direction of um, say having, uh, you know, a, a pro-worker views or pro-social justice views, uh, because I always find that interesting. Like for me, uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So 
uh, my grandfather was part of a union. So that's one of the reasons I'm, you know, very happy with all this uh, union unions coming out now with uh, Chris Smalls and the Amazon union. And I'm very grateful about that. So I'm always interested in learning about uh, maybe what led to a person's political development. Um, what, what was it for you that led to some of your views that maybe uh, line up with uh, the Bernie Sanders of the world? Well, when I was growing up, I was in a upper middle class family, lived in uh, New York City for most of the time. And I was uh, fortunate enough to go off to boarding school and had quite a really nice upbringing and a loving family. So I was one of the lucky, lucky few siblings and I were. And while I was growing up and while I was in boarding school and when I first started working uh, my first few jobs, I saw a lot of people who had not been as well off as I was. And it just didn't make sense to me that, you know, they didn't do anything wrong, you know, and here they are um, just having a tough time through no fault of their own. And I figured, well, I'm in a position where I might be able to help not so much with the money, but with my time and energy. And why not do it? So that's how I became involved. And plus, when I was growing up, that was during the civil rights movement and the you know, all the fallout from that. And when I was a child, I remember going to school and a lot of this is coming back to haunt us now with respect to Russia. But um, when I was going to school, we had under the desk drills uh, because of nuclear war, the prospect of nuclear war. And for a child, that's really traumatizing, just like not quite as bad as, you know, being in Ukraine, for example, right now, or Yemen or some other places, but, or parts of Africa and, it had a profound effect on me. And then watching my maternal grandmother, who was a big deal in the civil rights movement, um, do what she was doing and listening to all those stories and meeting a lot of the people and just seeing what I saw when we were vacationed out of state and how um, minorities were being treated um, just didn't sit right with me. So I figured, well, you know, whatever resources or gifts I have, blessings um, I'm going to try and put them to good use so I've had kind of a history of doing that ever since I was pretty young it manifests in different ways you know I volunteer a lot a ton and part of it is just like with the election stuff I don't want to be under anybody's thumb I don't want to be under a PAC's thumb I don't want you know somebody say well I put a thousand dollars in your campaign I'd like you to you know change you know whatever um, not happening so I mean not that I wouldn't do it but you know, if it was something I agreed with, but I don't want anybody having that kind of control over me or for that matter, any other politician or candidate. I hate the word politician, but. Could you talk a little bit about um, your support for um, Medicare for all? Because I, I think Medicare for all is, is an issue that's very important to myself and my listeners. So uh, maybe you could talk about why you support that and, um, you know, just do you think we're ever going to get there? Because I think it's it's uh, an issue that really needs to get uh, pushed forward. And I, I'm hoping one day we'll get uh, to the point where we have it. I think I think you're right. I think uh, we will. And I think it'll be incremental. I think they're going to start like lowering the age, for example. So it's nothing too, you know, spectacular for the, the general, you know, group of uh legislators you know who might be interested one way or the other um, but I think it'll be incremental I think it'll cover more and more just like the uh, Medicaid expansion 
has been adopted by a lot of states. Um, I think it's a, a good thing. I live at the poverty level because I'm a, a monk and that's part of the deal. So um, I pay a little bit more attention to it. I've heard of these horrific medical bills people have been receiving with respect to the COVID stuff. And what if it's a family? You know, that has these profound effects, you know, these medical bills and issues and all the stress involved with people who have to choose food or their medicine, um, people delaying going to visit the, the, uh, their physician because of uh, a copay you know, or whatever it happens to be, or if they don't have insurance, or where are they going to get that several hundred dollars for a, a doctor's visit? Um, those are hard choices that a lot of people are having to make. And with Medicare for all, without going into it's pretty vast and complex issue, but without going into all of it, um, if you had something wrong and um, you qualified for Medicare, for example, by age or disability or some other uh, reason, then 80% of your medical bills with a few exceptions would be taken care of. So that takes a huge burden off of a lot of people. And I think instead of having to be 65 or older or having to have a disability or whatever to qualify now, once those that age limit is lowered incrementally, which I think it will happen, um, more and more people will be covered. And even in the beginning, they might offer that just as an option. Um, so that people can say, oh, well, I like my you know, medical care provider until you know, their medical care provider decides not to cover something that they thought was covered. Um, I, think it'll, I think it'll just slowly but surely happen. And I think the government has learned from its experience with the VA, which is a gigantic system as far as delivering you know, medical care. There've been some mistakes, there've been some things that are doing really well. And I think um, Medicare has been around for what, 51 years, I think. So uh, they learned a fair amount, the administration of that program. So I think uh, to, to uh, allay some of the um, concerns you might have about the whole you know, Medicare issue, I think that the Medicare for all eventually will be the prevalent um, system. Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of these issues that we talk about, I, I often refer to that line um, that FDR had, you know, uh, the, the freedom from fear, uh, because, you know, people shouldn't have to be afraid uh, that they're not going to be able to pay their medical bill. Uh, you know, I think we need to, in a lot of ways, expand uh, the definition of, or, or, or what is included in the definition of uh, human rights. Well, <laughs> human rights is a, a big issue right now, whether someone has children, doesn't have children, male, female, um, whether they're stressed out because of LGBTQ plus issues or um, their race or their you know, religious practice or whatever it happens to be. We all should have basic you know, human rights. I personally think that, and I would direct you again to Bernie's website, but I personally think that um, we all should not be stressing over basic housing, 
basic subsistence food, a basic income. Um, one of the unintended consequences of a, a basic income is that once people who are selling things figure out you have a basic income, they're gonna go for that income by jacking up their prices. So whatever basic income there might be might be offset by what the, uh, well, a good parallel would be what the um, oil companies, for example, are doing. Um, their CEOs are pretty well paid. That's a big deal up here in Alaska, not for uh, subsidizing you know, oil companies. All they're doing is buying back their stocks with the money and compensating their CEOs at just outrageous levels. And a lot of them, like up here in Alaska, you know, many of them are foreign-based. You know, these are Alaska's natural resources, you know, in my view, God-given, and we should use them to our benefit, whether we believe in the fossil fuel industry or not. There's a way to regulate and control in a responsible way development of those um, resources without having to deal with uh, companies that um, are suspected of gouging, you know, like you see the gas prices and stuff like that. That that's on um, those companies, I think. Also, I, I have to ask this because I had a listener that, that wanted me to ask, and I, I don't think they were being silly. I think they were uh, asking uh, what your opinion is on it. What do you think about the, the issue of um, marijuana and, and things like medical marijuana and legalization? Um, well, just before I get into that, I didn't want to forget to mention First Peoples. That's another big issue up here in Alaska and some other states. So I'm all for protecting their human rights as well. So uh, with respect to uh, marijuana, cannabis, pot, whatever somebody wants to, to call it, I've been a state registered medical marijuana uh, patient up here uh, since 2013, I think. And before that, uh, when I was living in Nevada. So I was diagnosed with cancer about 10 years ago and cannabidiol has helped keep that at bay for me. I'm sure it doesn't work for everybody, but in my case, it does. So I'm a big advocate for medical marijuana. And um, when I was growing up in the 60s, uh, marijuana was you know, pretty prevalent. And during the Nixon administration, particularly, that was when a lot of it was criminalized to a very severe degree. And we're still you know, feeling the consequences of you know, the decisions that were made back then by the government. Um, I don't recommend it for anybody under 27 because I've uh, read science says that's when your brain stops forming, you know, and I figured, well, you know, just leave it alone until you're old enough and kind of make your own decisions. Not that people don't do that, of course, but um, back when I was growing up, it was uh, marijuana, you know, so pot, hash, um, psilocybin, mescaline, you know, stuff like that. But now I see like movies like Dope Sick and some others, we have this huge opioid um, problem and fentanyl and some other issues. So I don't want people to confuse the two issues. I think um, cannabis and hemp are sort of one thing and should be kind of set aside a little bit. And then the other hard, hard drugs, that's a whole different issue, a societal issue that I think is tough for law enforcement to deal with because you don't know what somebody's behavior is going to be or 
if they can control it. You know, we've seen instances, you know, that escalate. Um, and sometimes because our health systems and educational systems and other systems are failing in some areas, um, people as a society and individuals that have to deal in these fields are having difficulty responding um, to a lot of issues and emergencies that arise um, in that field. So not so much, I think, with respect to uh, cannabis, but some of the other um, drugs, yes. And I look at cannabis as an herb, not so much a drug. If you could, uh, you, you had mentioned uh, First Nations. So um, I guess Alaska Natives, um, could you talk about that issue and, and uh, the importance well, first, for you? Yeah, First Peoples up here, um, a lot of their land was kind of, I don't like to use the expression taken away, but I would say appropriated. And, um, and they didn't get, in my view, um, full protections for themselves. Some of the land that they were situated on, just like the old days with reservations, wasn't the best land around. And um, a lot of times they, their sovereignty isn't respected. They're not allowed to self-govern as much as they might want to or perhaps should. And they're sort of shortchanged all along the way. Just issues like um, infrastructure, broadband is a big issue. Well, people who live in remote areas of Alaska and some other states uh, don't have the benefits that most of us have with regard to communication, whether it's for business or you know, education or any other purpose. And first peoples, like when there's a mining issue up here, you know, or when there is a, right now there's a, mine, a company that wants to start a mine that's right adjacent in an area adjacent to one of the biggest salmon you know, fisheries and processing areas in the state of Alaska. Um, I lean towards protecting the fisheries. You know, in this in this case, uh, Bristol Bay, and in the other case, the Pebble Line operation is something I do not support because um, I think they should respect the indigenous folks' right, you know, to the, to live on their land, you know, peacefully and um, garner you know, subsistence from it, et cetera. And I don't think that should be um, abridged. So, and there's some other issues that, you know, affect that particular population up here as well. So uh, things like uh, coverage by law enforcement people, that's, they're kind of low on the go-to list sometimes just because of distance involved and people not being willing to talk to outsiders, you know, with respect to, you know, what might be transpiring in their little community, wherever in Alaska. And those are, those are difficult issues. And I think, um, I, I don't look at it like as a partisan issue. I think I look at it more as a, um, human rights issue, like you were saying before. So do you have a, a little bit more time? Because I, I know we started a little bit late. Yep. Would you like me to go into some things like uh, wealth tax for the tippy top and removing the... I, well, yeah, I actually was just going to ask about the wealth tax and, and your thoughts on that. I think the wealth tax is a great idea, the way Bernie presents it. And 
I would also remove the cap on social security contributions. I think once you're up to like 110, $120,000, you don't have to pay the social security you know, tax part on the additional money above that. Well, some people are making millions and millions of dollars. They're, they're gonna receive the same benefits whether they like, you know, need them or not. They're still eligible for them. So why aren't they paying the full you know, ticket for those Medicare benefits like everybody else or social security or you know, all the other um, supposed socialist programs. I, I, it makes me laugh when I hear a lot of conservatives say, oh, we're against uh, socialism and democratic socialism and blah, blah, blah. And I think it, you're using half of those programs and most of them don't even realize it. You know, it's go to a public park, go to a beach, use a library, get on public transportation, Call 911. Those are all socialist programs, and they don't get it. So um, I don't know how to, how to change their their attitude because I don't really want to be confrontational. But it's kind of it just kind of hit. You know, I I don't quite understand it. So as an independent, um, progressive, democratic socialist. Sometimes I just look at it and just kind of like, you know, have to shake my head. This is not the uh, first time you've gotten involved with politics. Of course, we mentioned uh, city council. And I think also you had a presidential run in 2012. <laughs> uh, could you talk a little bit about that? And um... Okay, there, there's a funny story with that one. Um, I ran for president of the United States in 2008 and 2012, mostly to talk about children's issues. and one of the reasons I was prompted to do it by 2012 in particular was when Obama was running, he uh, visited Carson City, which is pretty near to where I was living at Lake Tahoe. So I went down to see you know, his little campaign stop. And while I was there, the Secret Service, who pay attention to a lot of what's going on as they have to, um, had, had garnered that I was Santa Claus. and. They said, "Oh, let's maybe the maybe the kids would enjoy because the the daughters are pretty young back then. I uh, would enjoy meeting Santa." So they ran it by the Obamas, and they said, "Sure, yeah." So the um, Secret Service ushered me into this little holding room where they had the kids and uh, at the venue, and um, walked over and said, "Hi, Santa Claus." Or actually, I was introduced by the Secret Service, so they actually paid attention. And the the two uh, young girls said. Uh, oh, Mr. Santa Claus, we've never met you before. We had this great little conversation for a couple of minutes. And then uh, Obama walked in, Senator Obama, and said, oh, I, Santa Claus, oh, it's good to see you. Like that, you know, his usual congenial self. And uh, we talked for about a minute and it came, I brought it up. I said, well, you know, I listen to your platform. I'm supporting, I will be voting for you. But how come you're not spending a whole lot of time talking about children's issues? He said, well, I've got so much on the platform and blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, there's room for, for everybody. You know, you can run for president and put that up as your platform, you know, and, you know, force everybody to think about it. <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, interesting. So I sort of, you know, took it to heart and figured, well, he isn't going to discuss it. And he didn't during his campaign, most of the children's issues. And I figured, well, I'll do it. So I wound up not spending anything, of course, on the campaign, 
either one, but I did wind up with 309,000 Facebook followers that seemed to agree with my take on politics at the time. I left Facebook in 2018 because not because of the platform, but because of the administration of the platform. They kept taking me off the week before Christmas years in a row and uh, just gave me a hard time, never verified the account, et cetera. And so I left in 2018, now I'm on Twitter and I bring it up because Elon Musk is now insinuating himself into the whole thing, but I'm now on Twitter and Twitter refuses to give me the, the campaign check mark, even though I meet all the qualifications. When you go in to do the different steps, you know, to request the check mark, at one point it asks for five citations, you know, news articles and whatever, and I've got probably 60 by now. So I put the first three in, which is the first page for that. And then you're supposed to hit next to put in the next two. Next button doesn't work on my account at all. Never has, probably never will. So I can't, you know, technically I can't request it. You know, I don't have an avenue to request that. So unless a lot of fellow Twitter account holders, you know, bring it up with Twitter, it's not likely to happen. So uh, with the 309,000 followers, I'm thinking, well, does it make a difference if it's privately owned like Zuckerberg or if it were to be um, continue to be publicly owned like Twitter? Because from my perspective as a account holder in previously in one and now in the other, I'm having the same issues and same concerns, not just for me, but just in general. And um, I'm not sure if that's going to be resolved by Elon Musk's uh, acquiring that, you know, acquiring Twitter, you know, for better or for worse. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not too hopeful about Elon Musk uh, doing that. <laughs> yeah, me either. So uh, other than that presidential run, I, I, I know you also, I think you also uh, previously served as president of the, the Chamber of Commerce um, mm -hmm. in, in North Pole, Alaska. What, yep. what led you to get involved in politics? And then maybe you could, you could talk about uh, what led you to say, hey, I'm going to try uh, to do this run for Congress? Well, it was mostly happenstance up here when I moved to uh, North Pole, <clears throat> primarily because even though I was getting good reception with uh, state and federal legislators being based at Lake Tahoe and saying, hey, this is Santa Claus from Lake Tahoe. I was like, whatever. So this is Santa Claus from North Pole, Alaska. I'd like to speak to the congressman about, or congresswoman about whatever. Those calls tend to get answered and acted on. So <clears throat> it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And when I first moved up here, I hit the ground running because I wanted to have at least some employment, even though I'm a monk. Um, so I was one of the senior ranger for the recreational area that's next to North Pole for the borough. We have boroughs up here instead of counties. And people seemed to like the Santa stuff. And uh, they said, oh, we heard there's an opening on the North Pole Community Chamber of Commerce. You want to run for president? And I said, well, sure. So I looked into it, attended a few meetings and you know, ran for the office and um, was elected and you know, served for a year or two. And then um, at that point, people said, oh, now you ought to run for city council because they liked you know, what I had been doing elsewhere, the previous two things I was doing, which I just mentioned. And um, I very well, I look into it. And I think there were two openings, two seats open and three candidates. And I figured, well, Santa Claus, North Pole, Alaska, my chances are reasonably good. So 
I went ahead and did it as a write-in candidate because my name's pretty easy to remember and was elected. So that's how it all started. It wasn't this, oh my gosh, I got to run for, you know, whatever. It was this kind of, you know, good timing for me. So after the first three-year term, I took a year off and the governor appointed me to the Alaska Public Broadcasting Commission, which I had sort of done for you know, like a year and a half or something, then went back on to city council. So I've had all these unusual crews. I used to manage a TV station and was vice president of another one, was a general manager of a radio station in Telluride, Colorado, all places. So I've had a fair amount of varied experience. And when I was uh, volunteering as the director of the Terrorism Research and Communication Center, that gave me a better appreciation of the nuances and some of the problems facing the State Department and um, intelligence agencies and other, other stuff operating here in the United States. So I and when I hit the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C., my birthplace, um, when I was on my tour, I was well received in every office. And when I would do the follow-up calls like a week later to see if what we had been discussing was actually being advanced, um, the staffs without exception said, you know, our boss gets 20 to 30 visits a day from whomever, whether it's lobbyists or citizens or whomever other legislators, you are the visit that they remember most. So even though it sounds kind of ridiculous, it's a tool, it's a very, very powerful tool. And whether people agree or disagree with my stance on stuff, I think it provides an opening to find that common ground I was talking about before and hopefully uh, make you know, our nation and the state of Alaska included, especially um, better, better off and set a good example for children. You know, there are a few that exist, but very few have the same kind of name recognition, especially among younger people and children. So why not, you know, go in and try and accomplish something at a level that affects a greater number of children than I'm able to have an impact on now? So I just had maybe two more questions. Uh, the first was you, you've mentioned um, being a monk and it, it, it's interesting to me. Uh, it sounds like uh, you and, and we had mentioned Sarah Palin earlier, uh, don't have a lot in common necessarily politically, but I, I think uh, you both, uh, you know, uh, talk about um, Christian faith. And uh, I wanted you to talk about uh, what role does faith play um, in your life? And also I think sometimes in American life, people act as if, oh, if you have faith, you must be uh, part of this political party or this political party. And I don't think it's as simple as that. And I think a lot of people have lost uh, the message of what Christianity is about and about, about helping others and, um, you know, shepherding others. That's right. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, I graduated from interfaith seminary first and had a pretty good appreciation plus doing the emergency response chaplaincy, you know, for public safety agencies. Um, I, a little, my distillation of what I've learned in that field in theology is um, love one another. You don't have to know anything else about it, no matter which religion it is. And if you take away from it, yeah, we have to love one another. 
that's the most important part. I usually give a blessing, you know, if I'm attending a function or something, or maybe just a, a family who's talking to me, you know, at the supermarket or someplace. My blessing is, may you enjoy a lifetime that's filled with happiness, peace, good health, prosperity, and most of all, love, the greatest gift. And that's kind of what I like to leave um, people with. And uh, there are some contentious issues with respect to especially conservative folks pushing, you know, religion um, onto people. I'm thinking now of the, because it's an important issue and I'm not going uh, to hedge around it, the right to life movement. I consider the right to life movement, the right to birth movement, because once that little one pops out, they don't want to have anything to do with it. I just wanted to say real quick, what I've always found interesting is I know people that will say, oh, I'm very pro-life, uh, you know, uh, but then I ask them about the death penalty and they end up being very mm -hmm. pro-death penalty. It's very death confusing penalty. for me. <laughs> yeah, death penalty, going off to war, um, executing prisoners, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, um, it's a big issue. And personally, with the one I brought up a moment ago is I think that's between a woman and whoever she considers to be her creator. And that's an issue they have to decide for themselves. And I don't see the government regulating men's bodies. You know, try it, see what happens. What's that expression I use for Katie Porter? F-A-N-F-O. So, you know, I don't, that whole conservative uh, issue uh, is a, bone of contention for me my heart goes out to children i love children um if people have graduated from a seminary or not there are things that they should be considering like what do they consider to be the breath of life is god breathe the breath of life into that little one how do you do that when they're in the womb for example just as one you know little aside issue and there are a lot of people who argue both sides of the you know issue till they drop and all I do, my takeaway from the whole thing is love one another. It's interesting to me. I think I've heard you in other interviews talk about something you've come across throughout your life is this love versus fear dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we even see it in politics. And I was wondering if you could speak to the, the sort of love versus fear dynamic and, and also maybe how that's sort of tearing us apart. You know, I, I get that all of us may have political differences on some things, but I don't know that we have to be so polarized. I would agree with you. And um, a reading of any of the holy books, whatever religion, you'll see that same theme in there. It's love versus fear of loss of some sort, control or whatever. Um, and the, the fear is what engenders the hate, which is pretty easy to see and you know palpable so um whenever i see that sort of coming up you know, with the your the whole thing about all this stuff somebody's asking me it wasn't even me it was remember during the um <clears throat> number 45s you know issues with uh some of the forums and debates he had with uh, hillary one of the um uh, hosts or moderators said, I'd like to hear each of you say something nice about the other person. 
Do you remember that? No, no. Yeah. So, well, this guy asked and um, Hillary, you know, said something nice about it. I think about his children or something. And, uh, you know, or his youngest son, whatever it happened to be. I don't remember the remark, but um, I figured, well, that's a, a pretty good thing to try and find some common ground. So with respect to Sarah, since her name pops up more with mine, pretty much. Well, we're talking instance. Sarah Palin now. Yeah, yeah, Sarah Palin. Well, there are a couple of nice things I can say about Sarah um, with respect to this you know, election and just in general. When I was doing Santa's Bless the Children tour um, and came up to Alaska, she arranged for me to meet with uh, several department heads and their staffs to talk about a variety of children's issues. She only stayed for a few minutes because she had a fly to Juneau or wherever. And a few minutes later, you could hear the, like 20 minutes later, you hear this helicopter take off. Now's her staff looking up, like, oh yeah, that's, that's Sarah. So um, we had this wonderful conversation and afterwards, several improvements were made like one file per child and some other things up here in Alaska that I'd managed to help with um, during that tour uh, throughout the United States. So that was one good thing she did. And the other thing she did was she kept the oil companies in tow up here. She gave a really, I wouldn't say a hard time, but she was pretty strict with them. So those two things, I think, you know, I, you know, I was appreciative of even from my, you know, distant, you know, I wasn't living in Alaska at the time. So I think if, whether it's politicians or educators or religious folks or workers in general or employers or whoever it happens to be, tend to respect each other, even though they might disagree with their views. I think that's something we can kind of uh, aim for. I did it with Don, Don Young. Um, when he was in, he visited uh, North Pole City Council Chambers one time and he was looking for people to support his Congressional Cannabis Caucus. And he was talking to me for obvious reasons based on what we were just talking about earlier. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd be happy to you know, support that. So even though he and I disagreed on about 85% <laughs> um, you know, political oriented topics, um, we still found some common ground, you know, what he was trying to do for tourism and some other aspects of the first, first peoples and, you know, some other issues he was addressing at his level, you know, the, as in Congress. Um, I figured, well, yeah, there's, there's, you know, some stuff I could, I could help with, you know, I wouldn't help with the other stuff, but yeah, you know, there's, there's a little bit we can work with. So out of curiosity, because this just popped up to my head, you know, I, I can already tell that I'm going to at some point see a cartoon out there, uh, you know, like a, a newspaper cartoon type thing, where it's going to be showing uh, Sarah Palin with boxing gloves and you with boxing gloves. And we're sort of in, inundated with the image of, of oh, everything's a fight. Everything's a fight, whether politically or, you know, otherwise. How do you sort of keep this positive mental attitude where you're like, you understand that there's differences and you do fight for the things you believe in, uh, but not everything is about, you know, oh, we're, you know, at complete war. Well, with the fighting thing, I think that starts when people are just growing up, you know, or thrown into school. Oh, how about sports? Well, that's, mm -mm, you gotta, you gotta win. You gotta fight. You gotta, you have teamwork. You gotta do all these other things. Well, there are consequences to, bringing people up that way where everything's this contest where it's you know you have to beat this or you have to squash that other company or you have to you know whatever it is this whole contentious attitude so 
for me, I think it's just more productive, just from a practical sense, if for nothing else, no other reason, um, just to work together, you know, respect one another, work together, try to do your best together, you know, with people's differences. I'm kind of hoping that um, the folks at Saturday Night Live um, will go ahead and invite me to go on with Tina Fey <laughs> and Santa and Sarah and have a cute little, you know, thing. I'm not into the, the whole confrontational thing. It, it can possibly be avoided, which I think it can. You just have to want to do it. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to the campaign. As you know, my budget is tiny because I don't think money should enter politics one way or the other. I don't think politicians or candidates who are in office should be spending any time whatsoever fundraising or campaigning while they're in office. That doesn't make sense. You're, you're paying them to be in office. But you are, uh, you've already generated a lot of buzz. And uh, right, are right, you getting right. a lot of um, support? Yeah, a lot of people volunteered to do this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, Canvas Phone Bank, you know, wear a Santa hat, jingle the bells, um, social media, et cetera. And as long as I'm not controlling it um, or coordinating it, I'm delighted. So, yeah, I've been getting it quite a bit of positive feedback. Um, I expect there'll be, you know, the other, but most of the stuff I'm doing is by Zoom. <laughs> so I can always just go, click. <laughs> if it gets really bad, um, I don't expect it will. But I have a pretty good sense of humor. I think I'm, you know, good-hearted enough to um, engage in conversation. A lot of it's the attitude, just like if somebody gets pulled over by the police, you know, even for a minor infraction. Some drivers, um, you know, like the, well, there's a group that tends to do this. They just get in the officer's face, no matter what it is. You know, just this, this immediate boom. Would you pull me, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, if I were getting pulled over, I'd say, officer, how are you doing? What's up? It just in a nice, you know, just to find out what's going on. And because things tend to get contentious once in a while, things escalate. And we've seen that doesn't work out too well for anybody. So I'm much more directed towards what you were uh, commenting on. And also the nice part is I've noticed with respect to podcasts, you're good hearted. You know, I try and stick with folks. I watched yours, you know, you, you've had a whole bunch on everything from Yemen to Egypt to you name it. Um, you've got quite, you know, Kansas City, um, Palestine, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, you're quite well-rounded. You managed to keep a little bit of a sense of humor somewhere in each one of the, you know, podcasts. And you actually do your research. You've done a lot of research, I can tell, even with respect to me. And I'm just a, you know, a little, you know, person, not a gigantic issue, although I, I hope it will help change politics a little bit if people can sort of recover their confidence and it's their vote they can cast it for whomever they like despite political party despite money despite ads you know whatever it happens to be if they if a candidate's message resonates with them vote for the candidate there's just one last thing i wanted to ask you about now you're santa claus so i i have to ask you about uh what are your feelings on christmas because I look at Christmas in America and I feel like you embody what the spirit of Christmas should be more Thank than you. anything else I see uh, when Christmas season comes around, because sometimes I just feel 
that I'm inundated with like this sort of crass commercialism uh, around the season. And I think we need to bring back the, the real spirit of Christmas and, you know, what you said, the greatest uh, gift during that season, which is love. Maybe you could comment on uh, the, the Christmas season and uh, what it represents to you and, and how we can sort of bring back the, the, the true spirit of it. Well, you've read in a couple of places, I'm sure, where I've referred to it as this crass commercial secular spectacle that it's become in many places, which is true. And from my perspective, it's love is the greatest gift. If people are in a position where they can afford to you know, give gifts and stuff like that, tangible gifts, great. But the gift, a child in particular, or you know, spouse or whomever is going to appreciate the most and remember the longest is the gift of love, however that's expressed. Um, whether you're helping somebody, whether you're sharing something with somebody, whatever it happens to be, or reinforcing someone or you know, trying to be compassionate about something, um, it's the, the gift of love. So I tend to go away from the crass commercial secular spectacle um, and gravitate towards the uh, loving and giving you know, from the heart part of it. And it gets to the whole thing about peace, like international peace, we got our deal going with Russia now, or will, you know, just diplomatically, et cetera. And with the sanctions and things, um, my heart goes out to the Ukrainian people and people in Yemen and other places throughout the world who are in these little war zones, some big war zones, where children are being harmed, I mean, killed even. And I think we should strive for peace. And the only way to do that successfully over a period of time is to instill love and peace in the heart of each and every child first. Is there any story that we can leave on of maybe a life that you've touched or, or a child whose life you've touched uh, with the work you do that, that really stands out to you that can sort of give a, I, I, want, I want my listeners to have a warm feeling going out of this. Thank you. It probably made me tear up a little bit, but uh, when I was living at Lake Tahoe, um, a child had died in unfortunate circumstances. I wrote a nice letter to the editor and you know, never expected to hear anything back or whatever. And about a year and a half went by. And, um, I was walking as I was wont to do back then and um, on one of the highways in town and um, this car pulled over in front of me and um, a woman got out. And I figured, well, maybe she needs help with her car or whatever. So she said, are you blah, 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 you know, did you write that letter to the editor? And uh, I said, which letter? And she told me that was her child. So she was thankful. Well, Santa Claus, I want to thank you for coming on. Parallax Views, how can my listeners um, keep up with uh, your, your social media, which has, has a great following, and uh, also your, your congressional run? Thank you. Well, they'd like to uh, tweet on uh, Santa Claus for AK, the abbreviation for Alaska. That'd be great. Or if they'd like to visit my website, santaclausforalaska.com, that'd be greatly appreciated. If they feel like doing anything that's independent, that's kind of lighthearted and would uh, help the campaign without my direction, um, uh, I would love it. So I send you all my love and um, please love one another. Thank you. And, and, and I want everyone, even if uh, you're not in Alaska, check out uh, the, the social media and the um, website because you have a lot of inspirational 
messages. And I, I think people should really see those, especially the youth out there. Well, and parallax views. So, <laughs> you know, you have a, a quite a following yourself. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and uh, for your good humor and for your love. Thank you. That does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you found the conversation with North Pole Alaska's Santa Claus as heartwarming as I did. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please, please, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. You know the drill. There's a $1 tear, $5 tear, $10 tear, $15 tear, and even a $100 tear if you're feeling extra generous. Any amount will help, and it is your support that keeps this show going. So, with that being said... Now, please, listen very carefully. Die Hard is not... A Christmas movie! Whoa, 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 whoa. We need to fix that. Now, please listen very carefully. Die Hard is a Christmas movie! Seriously, though, heart goes out to Bruce Willis at this difficult time. Die Hard. Yippee ki I think I'm going to leave the uh, naughty part out to avoid getting any cold this Christmas. Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say, don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like crazy. So, you know, we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.